itching Anson to go. Well, this morning, I thought it might be appropriate to uh, reflect on kind of where we've been as a church over the past couple years. I want to ask this question. Do you know what season of life you are in? Do you know what season of life you're in? I've been thinking about this idea of seasons of life. People will go through seasons, and so do communities. Nations will go through seasons, and our church does. What season is Cascades in? And to be clear, I'm not talking about the changing climate conditions, although today is a perfect example of that shift from what it was, say, a week ago to today. But I'm talking more about that, that metaphor of life being full of a series of seasons. There's something about the language of seasons that butts up against how we normally talk about life. Seasons come and go. You can't really extend them. You can't stop them from coming. And yet so much of the way that we talk, so much of the technology that we develop is rooted in a desire to actually try to control our circumstances. And yet seasons are something we can't control. In each season, there's something that God is doing. Something he wants to do in you and something he wants to give to you. Which is why it's so important to know what season you're currently in. Peter Schizero, he says, When we ignore the reality of our season, not only do we constantly feel like we're missing it, but we're unable to receive the unique gift of God. Now the Bible has a lot to say about seasons. And perhaps the most famous place to read about seasons is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You can turn there uh, in your Bibles, on your phone, or you can follow along on the slides behind me. Ecclesiastes 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 and then verse 11. And this is what it says. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. And then in verse 11, the author will say, He, being God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the creator of this world. And you thought of the, uh, the climate seasons, but you also these different seasons that we encounter in life. And life is full of so many different experiences. And somehow, you have made everything beautiful in its time. So we ask this morning that you would speak to us, that your spirit would make us aware of the seasons that we are in, as individuals and even as a community, that we might know how to respond to the work you want to do in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to suggest that Cascades, for the last couple years, has been in a long winter. It wasn't four months. It felt longer than that over these past couple years. But that spring is coming. 
And I want to offer a framework for thinking of seasons that you can apply to yourself, but also for Cascades. And I draw this framework of seasons from uh, some work that Peter Scazzaro has done on this. Now, in our passage that we just looked at in Ecclesiastes 3, there's two words that uh, stand out. One is the very first one we see in verse 1. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the suns. And then, and then when you go to verse 11, you see this word time again. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Season and time. They both suggest that we're not in complete control of our lives. Now, time, this word, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint, is kairos. Some of you will know that word, kairos. It refers to time, but more specifically, the right time, an opportune time, a proper time, an appointed time. And Jesus talks about this kind of time. A couple examples that you can see in Jesus' ministry come from uh, Luke and Matthew. In Luke 19, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, and he's grieving. And this is what he says, If you, speaking of Jerusalem, the city, even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jerusalem was missing the season of what God was doing. They didn't recognize that he had come to him, them. They were missing it. They were meant to be the people who received him with joy, and they didn't even recognize that he had come among them. When Jesus, in Matthew 16, is speaking to Pharisees and Sadducees, they ask him for a sign. And he says to them in verses 2 and 3, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. And he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. He says, you cannot understand or perceive this appointed and opportune time of God. Seasons is another word. And it's a biblical word that we use, and it's a key image um, for God's work throughout Scripture. Notice that it's an agricultural metaphor. You think of agriculture when you hear of seasons. You think of farming, of harvesting, certain time for tilling, for watering, for planting. Seasons and kairos, they both speak to and point to this underlying idea throughout Scripture that you and I, humanity, is not in complete control of their surroundings. And when we come to these words, we need to acknowledge that. It's hard, and much of our life is lived as if we are in control of all of our circumstances, but we don't have control. And it doesn't mean that you can't do anything then. It doesn't mean that you're paralyzed or you just sit passively and wait for everything to happen to you. That's not what it means. In First Chronicles 12, we get this list of different uh, groups, families and people, tribes, who responded positively to David becoming king, who came to his side. As Saul had died, David was being, had been anointed as king. And in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32, it says, The men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They understood and embraced the season that Israel was in. Saul's reign was over, 
this was the era of David's reign. And because they understood the season that their nation was in, they knew the direction that Israel needed to go in. Now, Scripture is full of examples of people misunderstanding or resisting a season that was coming upon them, a season that they were in or that they were transitioning into. In Genesis, we see Abraham and Sarah who were frustrated in the season of waiting. They had been given a promise that they would have a child. And in their season of of, of a winter, waiting for 25 years, they decide to take things into their own hands and try to conceive of a child in their own way. And their decision leads to so much strife within their marriage and division in their family. Moses, after trusting the Lord in the wilderness for nearly 40 years, grows impatient, and he strikes a rock twice in frustration. And because of that, he does not get to enter into the promised land. Saul knew that David had been anointed, that his kingdom would be taken from him, but he refused to recognize that word. He resisted it. He grasped onto his rule, and in the end, he still lost it. Peter couldn't recognize the times and resisted this transition that Jesus was taking in his ministry, on his journey towards the cross. And as Jesus started to talk about it, Peter would resist it. I'll I'll never let you die, Jesus. I'll, I'll die defending you, Jesus. And then when Jesus is finally betrayed and Jesus does not fight back, Peter feels like he needs to, and what does he do? He slices off the ear of Malchus. Peter didn't recognize the times, but he also resisted the times. Judas didn't want to embrace the season of autumn autumn and winter that was coming, that was happening to him as Jesus approached the cross, and he betrayed Jesus. He rejected what God was doing. Yet the men of Issachar understood the time and knew what Israel should do, and I find that so powerful. They understood how they should respond. I'd love to be able to have that kind of discernment. And in the season of life, you understand the times that you are in and what you should do. And I think if we can name the season that you and I are in and embrace it, we can respond appropriately to the work that God wants to do in our lives. We may not see everything. We might not even see the big picture. But we can see enough to know how to respond. So what are the seasons? And how do we respond to them? Well, I mean, we kind of know seasons. We live through them in Vancouver, even if our summers feel way too short and our winters feel way too wet. But we know the seasons. There's the fall. The fall is a, a season of dying, of seeds going into the ground. A time of preparation for the cold. Trees are shedding their leaves. Uh, The days are becoming shorter. This is a season of decline. Summer's abundance is decaying. This is a season of transition. And the key to the season really is dying and seeding for the future. And some of you have personally lived through this kind of season. You've been cutting back on hours at work, getting ready for your retirement. Some of you have been preparing to shift jobs, changing your responsibilities. Some of you went through this as you prepared to say goodbye to a loved one. 
And it's difficult. This season is perhaps one of the more challenging ones because you really feel that sense of change in your life. It's disruptive. Some of us were forced into this season right as the pandemic began. We ended up retiring earlier than we wanted to. It wasn't part of our plan, and, it, and we went through that fall really quickly. It was really quite brief. The winter, the winter, there's no visible, visible growth. It looks like death. Looks. Emphasis on looks. It's a demanding season because there is no visible growth. It feels barren, and it often looks barren. It looks empty, but nature isn't dead. It's just a lot of it's gone underground. It's renewing itself for a spring. Something is living in the dying, but it's a difficult time because you just can't see any of that growth. In winter, God, though, is doing a lot. You can't see it, but he is. And one of the gifts of winter is clarity. You can actually see through the trees. The winter clears the landscape. It gets us to look beyond the surface. In the winter, something is living, but it's hidden underneath. And I think many of us have been here in that place of winter. It looks barren. It feels empty. There's no visible growth, yet God is at work beneath the surface. He is actually in the silence. There is a renewal that is going on below the surface, and we need to allow that the winter then to deepen our roots. The spring, in the spring, there's this tenacity of small and tender roots that come through the ground. The days begin to get longer. Some of you start to feel like it's easier to wake up in the spring as the sun starts to rise just a bit earlier. The days start to feel longer in that way. In the winter that was gray and darker, now things are starting to become green. And then by late spring, there's this great gateway of blooming this is what some of you are experiencing in parts of your life. They're slowly beginning to bloom. You see this new life come out. We get to see this in this neighborhood really well with the cherry blossoms. For two weeks, you just see new life starting to spring up really quickly. It's beautiful. And then there's the summer. Summer's a time of abundance, a state of plenty, with meadows and fields being full. The days are the longest. The sun rises really early, and the sun sets really late. Summer's a time when all of the promises of the fall and winter and spring finally come to fruition. They come due. And it's a time where things feel so great that you actually begin to wonder, why did I even doubt that God would ever show up again? Because it's just so clear that he's faithful, that he provides. If this is any of you in this season of summer right now, you got to come and tell us. Come and encourage us. Tell us what you're experiencing, how he's been faithful. And what season is Cascades in? What season are, are we in as a community? I think some of you probably, as you heard that list of different seasons, you thought to yourself, oh, I think I've kind of been here for the last little bit. But as a community, where are we at? Well, I want to answer that question with a picture. It's a picture that I took this week. And it is a picture that I think we have a slide for. There it is. I don't know if you can see it with the, the like how bright it is in here. Can you, guys, can you guys see that pretty well? Yeah, cool. So this is a picture of our ministry room downstairs. It was taken this week after Ian and Ron had finished installing those two windows you see right there. 
the lights aren't on in that room. That's just the natural light that comes in. I love this picture. I feel like this, Im this image expresses so much. I love the way light just shines into the room. For years, those windows were boarded up, but now light shines in into that room, and it changes the way it feels on there. It feels bigger. Clearly feels brighter. It feels more spacious. It feels light. That's what God does. We've been living through a long winter. It's been dark at times, but spring is coming. The light is shining into that darkness. This image reminds me of what is to come, the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. It reminds me that God, the light, is always faithful and that his word is that lamp for our feet, that he directs us. Now that room downstairs has undergone significant changes over the last year. And in 2020, that room was dark. Like literally, the lights weren't on. No one was using it. No one was really in there. It wasn't used, and the carpets were well-worn. Some of you would say well-loved. Lots of stains from kids spilling spaghettis and who knows what else there. In a year in the dark with no light, with no use, no real air circulation, and a, fro a broken freezer and fridge, it meant that that room kind of got to smell kind of weird. It's kind of musky. In 2021, many of us are who returned and we entered into that room. You know when you haven't been somewhere for a while and you come back to it, you notice things a lot more? That's what it was like walking into that room. You're like, I can't believe we didn't. How did we not see that? We've got to do something about that, some of us said. A number of you said that and started to actually do things to clear out the freezer, the fridge. As we did that, we're like, man, this carpet's so bad. It's so stained. We've got to see if we can try to salvage it. So some tried to shampoo it. It smelled better, but it still looked just as dirty. Those stains, there was no way those things were getting out. But it smelled clean in there. And as we continued, we just thought, you know what? It's kind of when you start a project, it just keeps unraveling like a snowball. You're not going down a hill. It just gets bigger and bigger. You start realizing, oh, we, we didn't notice that over there. What about that? And eventually, the carpets, we realized we've got to remove them. So we took out the carpets. We got rid of some of the furniture. We took down some of the boards that were on the wall. We had the walls painted and filled by you. We had um, new flooring put in new baseboards installed. We bought some furniture to fill out the room. It kind of felt empty now that they were, there was all this space in there. And then we noticed those windows. That, like, hey, at some point there used to be windows in there. It'd be great. Can you just imagine what this room would feel like if we had windows in it? If there was natural light coming in here? We're like, yeah, well, how would we do that? And some of you know we have some pretty crafty, creative people that I keep encouraging to start a little side hustle they're just so good at it and they're like no no way i'm just trying to speak it into existence so so you could do it you do great at it and um so we said yeah let's try to get those windows in on a time that works and you see it wasn't really just about having a nice room like of course it's nice it feels good to be in a nice room but that wasn't just the end goal it was about ha having a hospitable space where people adults and children 
could gather, could pray, could encounter Jesus. That room downstairs isn't the same place anymore. And I think if you change there, you can see the difference of what it once was. It's been transformed. And the changes that have taken place in that room are a metaphor for what God wants to do in us. That God's interested in renovating our hearts. And sometimes we just think, oh man, maybe if we could just fix up the carpets in our life would be good. And he's gracious enough to let us try and see it's not coming out. <laughs> There's no way that's coming. It might smell a little bit better. It hasn't really changed all that much. More work is needed. And during these past two years, this winter that Cascades has gone through, God has been interested in renovating our lives. Many of us have experienced that, these changes to our pace, to some of the habits and disciplines. Some of us have felt like some of these uh, areas that we had under wraps before the pandemic, during the pandemic, were totally exposed and highlighted, and we realized there's so much more work I have to do in my life. My old way of living, of coping, isn't working. And you realized there was this invitation that God was bringing you into, where he wanted to do the work in you. So much of that work has gone on below the surface. Nobody really necessarily hears about it in the same way. And it makes me think of this uh, quote that C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not really surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Some of us are like, Lord, I'm, I'm really content with a little cottage. It's perfectly fine with me. But his desire for us is to be a palace. Like, Lord, I don't need you to add that wing. That's way too much work. It hurts too much. I think it's going to be really expensive. And he's like, but that's not what I want for you. I'm making you into a palace. Through all the seasons that come your way, God intends to build you into a palace for himself. Each season of life is a place where we can receive the unique gift of God. He wants to use all of them, the fall, the winter, the spring, the summer, to transform us, to do more than just a superficial change. He, of just maybe how you speak, maybe how you act when others are around. He wants to go deep to the core of who you are, of what motivates you. And each season plays a role in that, but in a different way. For you and for us. Your life is intended to be a palace for God. To dwell. Where he just feels at home. 
Our community was created to be a palace for God. Our building, this gathering place, was meant to be a place where God's people come together to meet with him corporately. Buildings can reflect values. They express beliefs. They create space for things. And we want this to be a place where people encounter him. Thinking of this idea of palace as a, as a dwelling place for God, Ephesians talks quite a bit about that. And one of the places where you can see that is in Ephesians 2. At the very end of that chapter, Paul actually mixes two metaphors for the church. He says in verse 19, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. He mixes these two metaphors. The first one is this uh, architecture metaphor. You're the household of God, built on. There's the cornerstone, Jesus, this whole structure. There's this language of construction, of building. But then he shifts it in verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows. I've never really seen an actual building that grows. A structure that grows. He uses this organic metaphor. What kind of building grows? Why would Paul want to do this? It's because Paul is speaking to this tension that often gets described as an already not yet tension. It's this tension of already being God's dwelling place, but not quite fully his dwelling place. We're already his dwelling place the Lord's people, but not in its fullness. Already, but not yet. God's built it, he's established his household, and he's growing it too. He's growing us into a people, just as a tree through many seasons grows wider, deeper, taller. That's what God does in his people. That's what he's been doing in us over this winter. Our roots have gone deeper. Now, how do, how do I know that? I feel like he's been doing something among us. And the thing about winter is you don't always, like, notice things because it's so slow. So it almost is so subtle sometimes that you can easily miss it. And you just accept, oh, not much is happening, when that's not really the case. And one of the gifts... If you read through our annual general meeting booklet, is you guys get to be reminded of some of the things that have happened over that year. And it's encouraging. You're like, wow, more happened than I realized. But as I was praying this week, and I was like, Lord, what are, what are some of those things that you have been doing? I feel like he, he, he said, I'm doing a new thing among my people. God has been bringing some young people, some young families to Cascades over the last year. He has made people, brought people here and, and birthed this hunger among us for community, for family, to be part of something bigger than themselves. He's been growing us to be a people who want to con con uh, continue to contend for a movement of God. 
He has moved us to give generously at different points this year for us to BC flood victims, refugees, the homeless in our city, to prayer 24-7 ministry. He's moved us to go out into our neighborhoods and pray on our streets and to invite friends to come and learn more about Jesus. He's been doing different things. He's led many of you to take steps that require a greater trust of him, of his grace, of his provision, of his goodness, of his direction, of his empowerment in your relationships with others, at work, in your own life and discipleship with him. We've been in this quiet season of winter, but spring is coming. And we don't have control over when it comes, but it feels like it's just around the corner. And I realize the irony of saying that on such a sunny, warm day. It feels like it's already here, but I think you know what I'm talking about. That we've been in this season that's felt, really, you know, during, since the pandemic, that it's been like this cold, darker winter, and yet something's changing. That something's going on below the surface. And so how can we respond as individuals Wherever, whatever season you're in, and, and as a church. Well, first I think, no matter what season we are in, we must first recognize that seasons are a call to surrender to the living God and release the illusion that we have control over everything. There is a call to surrender to the living God. It's not that we just surrender and just stand there and do nothing and become passive. That's not what the call is. It is surrender into the loving hands of God the Father, who can lead you through the coldest and darkest winter just as well as he could guide you through the best and brightest summer. He can lead you through a slow spring and an autumn that feels so full of transitions. To everything there is a season, a time, and it's challenging, but there can be beauty in it. If you're in a season of transition, I think time spent with God in silence can be so valuable. Reflecting through a journal on the joys and the losses in the season are really important. Stuffing it down in a season of transition is terrible. It's going to come up. Acknowledge the grief that is there as you make changes. You can grieve changing a job, changes in friendships, changes in communities, things going on in family. And, and sometimes we just think, well, that's such a basic thing. It's supposed to happen. My kids are supposed to move out and get married. It doesn't mean you can't grieve. Acknowledge your grief. If you're in the spring, you're probably starting to feel kind of excited. You're looking forward to it. You see the change coming. Don't let up on the healthy things that brought you through the winter. The temptation is to want to run through the season. But enjoy what is blooming right now. Name it. Celebrate it by thanking God. Celebrate it by telling others. If you're in the summer, the temptation is to forget. Ironically, it kind of can go one or two ways. Temptation is to forget 
that it was God who led you there. That there's this abundance. And because things are so good, it's almost easy to forget his goodness. Tell others about how God has led you. Share how you even doubted, but how he's brought you there. Thank him. Be an empathetic encourager. Empathetic, empathy, understanding that not everyone feels as high as you might right now. Not where you are, but an encourager in that you're affirming that God is good and faithful, that he shows up. Be an encourager by being generous with his abundance that he's given you, whether that's time, treasures, people, resources. Remind people he's worth waiting for. If you're in a season of winter, it feels hard. It's hard to see what's going on. But he is doing a work. And I think one of the calls for those in winter is actually to see that you're being brought deeper into relationship. That the, he wants your roots to go deeper. To trust him that the spring really is coming. And it will be good. I want to invite our church over the next two months to two things. I want to invite you, wherever you're at, if you feel like you've been close to God or not, the same thing will apply, to two things over this summer, in two months, right, July, August. One is I want to invite you to live in the story of God. It will ground you. Whatever season you're in, it will ground you. And what I want to invite you into is to, over those two months, read the Gospel of Matthew and one psalm a day, which should bring you to Psalm 57. Gospel of Matthew and one psalm a day. Root yourself in the story of God. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. We started it in the fall. We're actually starting it up again next week. So this next two months, live in it. And I want to invite you to uh, try something, maybe if you haven't, if, if reading your Bible feels kind of hard. There's this acronym, BREAD. Some of you might have heard of it. I'm drawing this from uh, King's Cross Church out in uh, London. I had a chance to visit it, and I, I, I really appreciate this, this approach. BREAD stands uh, for be still, read, encounter, apply, and devote. And if you're interested in this, I can uh, send you the, the information afterwards, but I just want to describe it a little bit for you. Be still. Just find a place where you can encounter God and ask him to fill the place and take a minute in stillness. Fix your eyes on Jesus and invite the Holy Spirit to guide your time as you open up the scripture. Some of you already do this, so that's just easy. No problem there. Second, read. Read through the passages, right? Say it were July 1st, Psalm 1, and, you know, a part of a Matthew 1. Read through the passages for the day and look for one verse that stands out or interests you. And then write out that verse in your journal or whatever it is that you're using. Third, encounter. Choosing that, taking your verse you've chosen, meditate on it. What comes to mind and how does it make you feel? What do you think God is trying to reveal through this verse? And allow God to speak to you. 
And then just spend some time writing a short reflection on what you think he might be saying to you. You don't have to be super confident. Just say, I think maybe God might be saying this. Four, apply it. Now you turn your focus outward. Think about how you might apply this to your day. And write down how you're going to try to live this out. And then five, devote. Finally, close by writing a simple prayer of devotion. Ask God that he would fill you afresh and commit your day to him. Now, you don't have to try out this bread approach. I just think it's a helpful guide. If it helps you, use it. If not, no biggie. But I do want to invite you to live in the story of God over these next two months. And then two, the second thing I want to invite you into is to seek his presence. Seek him, his presence. He will strengthen you. Whether that's crying out in confusion or rejoicing over what's going on in your life. And one way I, I thought that this, you could think through this is try to meet with God for two minutes three times in your day. This is just me trying to set a very achievable bar, right? But something happens when you do that, when you pause. And the way you can think about it is these three words, help, connect, and examine. If you're in the morning, you just spend two minutes asking for help, for what you know is coming in your day and what you know others are facing. Some of you do this already, great. I'm just trying to provide some kind of clarity or direction. In the afternoon, make a point of actually, you're not coming to ask, but to connect, just to be with him. That might be a time of silence. It might be a time to thank him, but just connect. You might even want to bring that together with maybe if you go for an afternoon walk on your break. And then third, at the end of your day, spend two minutes just inviting him to examine your life. I think of Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Test me. Try me. See if there be any grievous thing in me. Examine. Is there anything in my life, Lord, you just want me to get right with you about? So help, connect, examine. Over the summer, we want to offer some different opportunities uh, to gather to pray. And I hope to share with that with you uh, in, just in, the com in the coming days. This season of winter, if you're in a season of winter, it's a time to focus on quality over the quantity. To focus on the person you are becoming over the achievements you are striving for. I was talking with a friend of mine this week, and we were talking just about how we're often prone to wanting to think about what it is that we do, what it is that we accomplish. But one of the things that God does in people is that he's far more concerned with who you are becoming. And all of us have different gifts and talents that we have. But what God wants is for this convergence to take place between who you are becoming, who you are, and what it is that you are great at. And if you only have one of them, you're really good at something, but you haven't cared about who you are. You haven't cared about the character. At the end of the day, in the long run, it will not last. God wants people who become like his son, Jesus, and who discover the gifts that they have and actually use them to bless people. And so in this season, 
focus on who it is that he wants you to become. All right. 